0: It's a big Sunday morning, and uh, it's because it is baptism week for us at ACF, which we fill up the tank every single month. That's just a tradition of ours, and we give you an opportunity to take your next step of baptism. And we just felt like God was calling us to do this every month and give you a chance to do that. So if you have not been baptized, we want to invite you to do that. If you're with us online, you're watching somewhere local, I want you to get in your car and come to the building and we'd love to baptize you during the worship set at the end of the service. And so uh just so you know, just once again baptism doesn't save you. This isn't holy water. It's probably from the Eclutinha the Reservoir. There's nothing special about it. Um, but what it is is an act of obedience. And, and not not just that. It's It's a testimony to the world that Christ has made you a new man or a new woman. It's As you go into the water, it represents your old life, this death to your old self. And as you come up out of the water, it represents your new life in Christ. And again, it's not an optional thing. It's not, I do it when I feel like it. It is a call of every believer to take this next step. And so if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years and you've never been baptized, today's your day, friends. Like, I want to encourage you, take that step. We've got shorts and T-shirts and literally everything you could possibly need to get baptized here today. And so uh, just as as we're, we're, we're talking here this morning, just be praying about that, asking God if today might be your day. Also, um, if you came in from uh, the front doors, you might have seen a little little banner out there that said, today's sermon is a PG-rated sermon. Uh, so this is your fair warning, parents in the room. If you have little ones in here and uh, you are not ready to talk to them about sex, uh, we have a great ACF Kids ministry for you to leverage today. Uh, so that's all I'm going to say about that. The rest is on you. Uh, but if you just want to walk right out the door, it's going to get all kinds of real up in this place because 1 uh, Corinthians gets really honest about some of these sexual issues. So this is actually going to be over the next couple of weeks. Um, in fact, this week's kind of gonna be big picture. And then next week, I'm really gonna get into the weeds on this conversation. And so just be ready for that. Bring your friends. Some of you are like, Brian, I brought grandma. Uh, it's my first week here. If it's your first week, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. But, um, th- this is something we feel as a church that, uh, that we really want to be open and honest about things. That, uh, we, we, we need this space as a space that we can talk about real issues in real ways. And so we try not to pull any punches. So that's your fair warning. Grab a Bible, if you would. Open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, You can also download the ACF Church app, and you can can actually get all the text right there as well. We're going to start off in verse 1. Remember, Paul is writing to a sexually broken and depraved city. And he's writing to, uh, really, Christians within a sexually broken and depraved city. Because, once again, we've said this over and over again, instead of the church changing the world, the world was changing the church. Instead of being an influence on the culture, the culture was being an influence on the people of God. And so they were no longer a salt and light in their community. They, they were no longer different than the world. And the world's like, hey, what's the difference with the Christians? They're just the same as anyone else. And so again, there, there, there's some real stuff that's leaking its way into the church. And Paul is addressing this because he's getting letters And the interesting thing about the the epistles or letters from Paul is we're getting half of a conversation. We don't hear what he's heard, but he has clearly heard some junk. People are like, Paul, you got to get back to Corinth because it is getting crazy all up in Corinth. So here's, here's what he says. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Interpretation. This man is sleeping with his stepmom. So everybody in the church say, ew. 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 Yeah, that's all kinds of ew. Verse 2, he says, And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Let us therefore celebrate this festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So sometimes I'll kind of get into the text, I'll talk for a while, kind of give you the big idea of the morning. I'm going to start you off right at the top because y'all look nervous with the big idea of today, and it's simply this. Christians are tempted to judge those outside the church in order to conceal sin within the church. Christians are tended to, we're tempted to judge those outside the church in order to conceal sin within the church. So once again, this message is for the Christians. So Paul is writing to church people. If you're not a Christian today, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope you can listen in. But he's not talking to you when he talks about this stuff. And, and again, and this is written to a specific people in a specific time. And we look in and we go, can we relate to these people? And the answer is absolutely we can. Absolutely. There's so much that they're dealing with that we're actually dealing with. Again, remember, like, this is a sexually broken community. And, and the question is, does, does sexual perversion actually make its way into the church today? Answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there sexual brokenness in this room? The answer is, absolutely. You see, nobody here gets to say, except for me. Cause I'm getting, no, because we, we all have this, this sin that is within us. And whether it's to a great degree or a small degree, we all stand level as sexually broken people who are slowly being redeemed by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's talking to these people, this church, and he's like, guys, it's getting pretty, pretty crazy. He's like, you're living in this city where we've talked about how there, there were temple prostitutes, and there were a thousand temple prostitutes that people would actually go and sleep with uh, to worship the goddess Aphrodite. So this was their way of of worship. This was their church setting, was sleeping with prostitutes. In fact, prostitution was so woven into the culture that wealthy people would sometimes throw parties. And when they would throw parties, you would show up to their party, and, and the party favor you would get was a prostitute, right? Like, I go to parties, I get a keychain. They would get a prostitute. And again, this was a normal thing that was woven into their culture. People are living in sexually perverted ways. They're having sex before marriage. There are swingers, there are open marriages, there is everything you can think of. We're not as creative as you think we are. 22 isn't as creative as you think it is, right? There were STDs because of all of this that were exploding and, and because they didn't have the same medical treatments that we had, what they would do is they would actually build shrines, these shrines in the shape of human genitalia and they would bow down to them hoping they would get healed. So that was their way of dealing with this. It's just a, just a really broken world and uh, we look back and we go, man, not much has changed. We're still very broken sexually and I was thinking about what are the, what are the statements that we make that communicate our heart on this matter. And and these aren't just statements that I hear non-Christians make, but people who are saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, actually say a lot of these different mantras. Here's, Here's one. People say this, what happens behind closed doors is my business, right? If it's in my house, it's my business. Don't tell me what to do, right? As long as it's behind closed doors. Here's one. What I do with my body is my choice. It's a big one today. For a lot of different things. But if it's my body, then I can do whatever I want with my body. You can't tell me what to do with my body. How about this? As long as no one's getting hurt, it's okay, right? Nobody's getting hurt. We're all fine. You know, we're all consenting adults. I'll be talking more about that next week. But we're all just a consenting adult, so we're just fine. Here's the problem, and most of you know this. Somebody always gets hurt. Somebody always gets hurt. How about this one? It's 2022, people. Come on, right? Like, come on. It's 20. We we have progressed. This is, this is like what uh, C.S. Lewis used to call chronological snobbery. And uh, it's this idea that since we are farther on and farther along in human history, then somehow we are better than those who came before us. Like, it's 2022. Certainly we're getting better. I don't know that we're progressing. I think we're regressing. Because once again, I don't know if this is news to you, but we did not invent the sexual revolution in the 60s. I think the Corinthians did, right? Like it's, this has been around a long, long time. Here's one that floats around. Don't let anyone tell you who to love. I was listening to a country song the other day. It said that literally, don't let anyone tell you who to love. And all of these things, here's the the thing, is that we all have a certain standard even within these things, whether we know it or not. Like even that one. Like, don't let anyone tell you who to love. You say that, but what if somebody wants to love somebody who's 14 in a minor? No, 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 that's not okay. Well, then then again, we have a sexual ethic that we base on something, and within our world today, it's whatever cultural consensus is, and it's always changing, which is why we need the Word of God, amen? We need something that we can stand on. It's like, because it's always going to shift back and forth and back and forth. Now, in the church, uh, I would say this. Sex is either it's either not discussed at all or it's talked about in a way that's really negative. So hear me today. God gave us the gift of sex. God created it. It's a, he could have done this any other way. He could be like, hey, like if you want to have a baby, just give a high five. Right? There it is. Boom. Baby pops out. Like God could have created any other way of populating the earth, but he created sex as a gift and as an act of worship. And yet, once again, it has been distorted. We've taken it outside of God's design. And, and so I want to talk open about this stuff. I, I really feel convicted that, um, honestly, I feel like God's saying that we as pastors and, 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 and we as Christians need to be as bold about the truth as our culture is about the lie. Because you are being discipled every single day. Your children are being discipled every single day on Facebook on Netflix, on Instagram, on TikTok, they are being discipled into a sexual ethic, and we live in a very bold society. So, if you're like Brian, I don't know if this is okay to talk about in church. I can't think of a better place to talk about these things. Like, I can't think of a place that we would talk about it more than I think in the church family. So, we're going to be honest about this stuff. And in case you're here and you're like. I think we're wasting our time. I don't think we need to talk about this. I'll I'll tell you this. I would rather talk about a hundred other things, just if I'm to be real. I woke up this morning like, oh, today's the sex week. All right, here we go. You know, like I got to get into this. Let's just flip over to the fruit of the spirit, you know, and let's talk about that. And some of you might think this is like shock factor. He just wants to shock people. But trust me, again, I have no desire to do that. But what I do want to deal with are real issues. And um, this is not just a real issue out there from a pastoral level, this is a real issue in here, okay? This is this is a real issue in this room today. Uh, sometimes statistics help us to kind of see the problem. Currently, 68% of Christian men are struggling with some kind of unwanted sexual behavior. So like this half of the room, and a little bit more of the men in the room are like, there's something something sexually broken in my life and I don't know how to fix it. Um, Currently, 91% of men and 60% of women have viewed porn over the last month. Something to be aware of. Uh, Do you know that viewing pornography increases the odds of you having an affair by 300%? That's pretty shocking. Do you know that one in four teenagers in the room are getting sent sexually explicit pictures of their friends via text? Their little iPhones. So again, if you're here and you're like, oh, it's just shock factor, we don't even talk about it in the church, we have to talk about this stuff because it's hurting us. And if I love you, I will talk to you about things that hurt you. And same with me. And so that's, I'm not going to go through all the stats, but I will give you some resources um, if you want to do some research on your own. First is pornkillslove.com. You can go check that out. Um, this website gives you all kinds of stats, but more than that, it gives you scientific research about how pornography affects the brain. If you're here today and you're like, bro, like, you know, I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's hurting anybody. Trust me, it's hurting lots of people. Um, So this is outside of necessarily a Christian perspective. It's going to show you the science of all this. Also, um, one of our partners, Pure Desire Ministries. You can go there. If you're here today, and as I'm talking, you're like, I need some help. Uh, Know this, we've got groups that are part of our church family for people who are struggling with just different kinds of sexual addiction and uh, and even sexual trauma from the past. Um, We have people who are counselors. We'd love to help you get... Uh, connected with a counselor. One way or another, here's my heart for you, is that we all get healed because God wants to heal our sexual brokenness. He really does, and he's still doing this work. So back to part one of this text here today. Um, Again, this is, it gets crazy, and I've entitled today's message, It Just Got Weird, uh, because it did. Like, you're just reading along, and you're like, and this man is sleeping with his mother-in-law. And then as you go on in this, um, you start to see what's going on. Paul is talking to them. He's like, you guys, I can't believe this is going on in the church. And he's like, this is stuff that not even the pagans do. Like, like the, the, the pagans, right? The porn producers are looking in at the Christians and they're like, dude, we've done some weird stuff, but the Christians are gross. Like, ew. Like what's going on in the church? It's like, Ugh. just sends chills up my spine, you know? So, so when you're getting judged by the porn producers, like you have gone off the rails, Right? Like, you, you have left the foundation. He's like, there's something that's gone really wrong in the church. And not only that, the people who are in the church, they're actually, they're actually taking pride in it. They're celebrating it. They're like, look at us. We're so, you know, so progressed. You know, we're so enlightened. Look at us. We've got this person who's sleeping with their mother-in-law. Come be with us, you know. Come be part of us. And even the pagans are like, Ew. Like, we don't want to be a part of that. And he's like, it's so, it's become so twisted in the church, you guys don't even know what the truth is when it comes to God's design for sexuality. And I would say, I'd be honest, I, I think this is true even in the church today, that we make lots of excuses. Uh, we all want to talk about the line, right? In fact, I was a youth pastor for years. Every time we would talk about sex in youth group, I would do a little box where they could put in questions. I would get the same question every time. Some of you know what question it is. How far is too far, right? Can you give me chapter and verse that says, I can't do this or I can't do that? And here's the deal. I can't give you chapter and verse for every type of behavior. Here's what I can do, is that I can bring you back to show you what God's design for sex is. It's, it's very simple. It's not complicated. If you go back, you can read the book of Genesis. You can read that God designed uh, man and woman, right? He created one biological man, one biological woman. He invited them to come together and to be fruitful and to multiply. And so God's design for sex, his design is that it's one man, one woman in a lifelong monogamous relationship committed in marriage for the rest of your life. So that, that, that's all it is. It's not complicated. So then you're like, well, how about this? Answer, no, <laughs> right? You're like, is it okay if I, no. Like if it's outside of God's, but she says it's okay so I can, no, no, no. Like, like but 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 you know, like it's, it's culturally accepted. No, no like it's not okay. Well, it's not physically with the person, it's just through the screen. No, 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 no. If it's outside of God's original design for anything in the world, the Bible calls that sin. And sin is just a word for a distorted version of God's perfect reality. That's a simple definition of sin. Sin is a distorted version of God's perfect reality. And so any time we are looking for a loophole or a way out of God's original design for human sexuality. What we are wandering into is sin. So Paul wants to give them some tools on how to deal with this because it's, it's growing in the church. It's multiplying because that's what happens when it comes to sexual uh, perversion is it begins to multiply. So there's this guy that they're dealing with specifically and, and he's like, hey, deal with this guy the way I want you to deal with anybody that's kind of going on in this behavior. Verse 4, he says, When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So I want you to write this down if you would today. Um, It's time to get serious about our sexual dysfunction. It's time to get serious this is a pretty serious statement. Um, again, remember, this is a guy who is living in ongoing unrepentant rebellion, right? This is not like a, it happened once, he asked for forgiveness, he's seeking some help, he's getting some counseling, he's moving on. No, no, no. This is like we are celebrating this. Paul says, hey, what I want you to do is deliver this man over to Satan, which, can we all be honest in the room, sounds really ungracious, right? Like, kick him to Satan. Just send him to the devil. That's how I want you to deal with sexual sin in the church. But what Paul is literally saying is that this man is living a lifestyle that is showing where his heart's affections are and, and what he worships. What he worships is being reflected in his lifestyle. He doesn't want to be corrected. He doesn't want to change his behavior. And, and, and so he's literally walking in the way of the devil, right? So Paul's like, hey, what I want you to do is allow him to do that with hopes that he would be healed. When he says destruction of the flesh, that that the prayer is that he would go, he would wander off into his rebellion, and then at some point he'd be like, this wasn't all it was cracked up to be. He would realize that there is not the hope that he wanted in living this lifestyle that he's going for. So it's time to get serious about our sexual dysfunction. You know, this happens a lot in the church where there's something going wrong, and maybe it's somebody in your small group or a friend of yours that you know, and, and you hear them say something around the fire. You know, you're camping or you're out enjoying Alaska, and you're like, man, I don't know that that's best for them. I don't know that that's good, and, and I'm pretty sure that that's sin and that's not honoring God or honoring them. And, and then you're in this struggle, right? You're like, do I say something? Do I not? And you see, so many things destroy churches because something's going wrong and nobody wants to call it out. We all just act like the issue isn't there. There are hookup subcultures in churches. There are people sleeping with each other in open marriages in churches. There are people introducing pornography into the bedroom within marriage relationships in churches. And we hear about these things and we're like, let's just not talk about that, right? Here's the deal. I think Christians go wrong when they think the consequences of dealing with sin are greater than the consequences of ignoring it. We're worried about, y'all are quiet, by the way. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm getting no love to the stage, but it's okay. This is a heavy topic. But here's the deal. I think sometimes we fall into that. We go, man, I think it's going to do more harm than good to talk about this. So let's just just act like that's not really an issue. Paul says, no, you're going to talk about it. And you're literally going to deliver this man to Satan. You're going to to confront him, but you're going to allow him to go on his way and worship the God of this world. You see, Jewish tradition was that if somebody in the community was living in unrepentant sin, you would confront them. And if the confronted person didn't want correction, they were like, no, no, you can't tell me what to do. Not Not a big deal. I'm developing my own sexual ethic. I come up with it on my own. If they won't be corrected, What they were to do was to eject that person from the community. They were to eject, they're like, okay, you're, and again, this is a believer. This is a professed believer. There was a process to it. And not only that, they would eject the person from the community. Then they would spend a day going around mourning like this person just died. They would literally treat the person like they would throw a funeral for this person like they are now dead. They've gone on. And so that's the idea. Like, it sounds harsh, but the idea here is that they want this person, kind of like the prodigal son, to to go and live the life that they're actually wanting so they can find out that Jesus is the hope they're looking for, that Jesus is, and the way of God is going to lead to the most peace in their life. If you know the prodigal son's story, that is his story. The father sends him off. The son goes to Vegas and spends all his money on strippers and prostitutes, and he just like lives this life, and finally he's like, man... He's eating the slop from the pigs and he goes, this isn't all it was cracked up to be. And he comes back to his father and the father embraces him as he comes home. And the son is restored. This is, this is Paul's heart in this. It sounds harsh, but his heart, his heart, and I think God's heart, is always restoration, even for the rebellious. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm, I got a rebellious heart in this. I, I don't want to hear the truth. God's prayer for you is that you would get to The bottom that you would find your bottom so that you could end up being healed and see what the truth actually is. So Jesus actually gives us a way of dealing with sin and dealing with stuff within the church. It's in Matthew chapter 18. In verse 15, he says this, he says, if your brother, um, who? Not just a random person. This is your brother. This is another believer, right? This isn't the checker at Fred Meyer after church today. Like, what is your sexual sin? This is somebody that you're in a relationship with. If your brother sins against you, question, is someone else's sexual sin against you even if you're not involved? The answer in the church is yes. Yes. My sin hurts you. Your sin hurts me. We bleed together as a church family. There's nothing we can do outside of the family that doesn't affect the family. So he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Not slip into his DMs, right? Not send him a text, right? A couple emojis. Not like like an email, like from a distance. He said, like, go talk to him. Talk to her face-to-face. Have a conversation and then he says, between you and him alone. Again, this is, this is private. This is like, hey, hey, sit down with me. I love you so much. And I, I heard you say this, and I feel like what you're doing, um, it, it's hurting you. And in fact, what I know from the Bible is that, that it doesn't honor God, and that it doesn't honor you, and it doesn't honor the, the, the person that you're doing this with. And, and I just, I want better for you. I want better for our family as a church. And so how can I help you to get healed? How can I help you to get better? This is what he's talking about. Do you understand? Some of you, you're getting really nervous about this whole conversation because you've only seen this done wrong. You've only gotten the glancing stares from a distance. You've only gotten the judgment from people. You've only got the, like, oh, they don't invite me out to, you know, to go camping anymore because they found out this thing in my life. But this done well, I promise you, can lead to so much healing. I've had people Matthew 18 me before some of you have had people, Matthew 18, you, and, and they've done it in such a kind and loving way, but a firm way that has led to your restoration. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. So he says, just go to him alone. Doesn't need to be a big thing. Just talk to the person. But what we know is that doesn't always work. So he says, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the ev- evidence of two or three witnesses. So this is step two, right? Step two is, okay, they told me that I was just being a judgmental Christian. They told me that I just had sin in my life, so I probably shouldn't talk to them because, of course, I'm not perfect. And they told me I was being judgmental. So, so let's, let's get together and let's talk to them with a couple of people so they can't just write me off. So they said, okay, so go with a few witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, treat that person as a non-believer because they're living a non-believer's lifestyle. They want to live to the God of this world. They don't want correction. So what does this look like in the church today? What, what, what would be like a healthy way of seeing this? First, you need to understand this. The church in Corinth looks nothing like what we have right here in front of us, okay? The church in Corinth was like 40 to 60 people, okay? So we're not talking about 1,000 people. We're talking about 40 to 60 people who knew each other. They have relationships, Right, they know each other's kids. They know each other's habits. They are in relationships with one another. That's why they know what's going on with this guy. And so again, this is a small setting. This is this wouldn't be like okay, we're gonna we're gonna bring all the sinners up on stage here at ACF on Sunday morning. We're gonna parade them in front of you. This person doesn't repent. This that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about like your small group with people that you know at ACF. And there's something stirring, and you're going, I hear it, I know what's going on, I'm just going to act like it's not there. I'm just going to stick my fingers in my ears, and I just, what Paul is saying, and what I want to say to you today, is that that is not love. It's not love to watch someone destroy themselves and just move on, right? What kind of father would I be if my kids were destroying themselves, and I'm like, hey, let's just act like that's not a problem. And and I know even as a parent, I'm tempted because I want to be liked, that I'm like, I don't want to deal with that because they're going to get upset. But do you want to be liked or do you want to love them in the name of Jesus? And sometimes you have to choose between the two. And our call is to love. Our call is to love them. Another reason I think that we, either, that we just don't do this in the church is because we're all insecure about it. Um, specifically because we all know that we're not perfect. Uh, none of you are as aware of the sin in your life probably as you are. Like... You know, there are things you don't see, but you know, like, man, you know where you've been. You know where you, what you've done. You know what happened last night. Like, like, you know what's gone on in your life. And so when you see something happening in somebody else's life, the temptation is, be like, is to be like, who am I to talk to that person? And so in some ways, that's a healthy thing. In some ways, it's good. You have to acknowledge yourself. You have to talk about the own sin, the, the sin that's actually in your life. But we often use that as an excuse not to deal with it in other people's lives. We say, I don't want to cast the first stone, or I don't want to be judgmental. But again, to confront someone the way that Jesus is calling us to is not casting a stone, it's loving them. And maybe you're like, well, Jesus says not to judge, so who am I to judge? Now, you need to understand that when Jesus talks about not judging, he's talking about hypocrisy. He he talks about this, like, like you who have a two-by-four sticking out of your eye— shouldn't go to your friend and be like, hey, you have a piece of sawdust in your eye, because your friend's going to be like, yeah, but you've got a two-by-four sticking out of your eye. Like, why don't you deal with that, and then you can talk to me about my my little sawdust. But Jesus goes on to say you should remove the two-by-four, and then you should go talk to your friend. He does not say remove the two-by-four, and then act like your friend's piece of sawdust doesn't matter. He says, deal with the two by four. First, so this is like, if you're like, you know, you're sleeping with your girlfriend and you're talking with your buddy and he's like, yeah, man, I don't know. I was watching this movie last night and you're like, oh, that's raunchy, bro. Like that's on a part of, that's like the dark part of Netflix that nobody should go. He's watching that kind of stuff. Like we should confront him about that. But we're sleeping together every night. Like Paul would say, hey, deal with your sin first. Deal with the sin in your own heart. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but deal with it. Be repentant about it. Make the changes you need to make and then go talk to your brother. So do those things first. That is not judgmentalism. That is love. And the way you do it is everything. Again, if there isn't love in your heart, don't do this. If, there's ju- if there is like, oh, I think I'm better than that person. Again, you're not better than them. We're all sexually broken people. Nobody gets to be better than anyone else. Your junk just comes out in different ways than theirs does. And so nobody's better we want to be willing to confront those things. And we also want to be honest about our own stuff, which means um, not just letting things slide. Hebrews 12.4 says this. It says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So I want you to think about, is there an area of sin in your life where you are struggling? Is there an area of sexual sin in your life where you are struggling. Now, I want to talk to you. There are two types of struggling, and this is so important that we get this, because the word struggle gets thrown around in church circles all the time, right? It's like, hey, how are you doing with that? Oh, I'm really struggling with it. Okay, okay, I'll pray for you, right? Do you know the word struggle becomes a real excuse to continue in our sin? That's the first type of struggling, struggling to excuse our sin. Like, ah, oh, you still struggling with porn? Yeah, really, you really am. Still struggling with sleeping with your girlfriend? Ah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. You're still, you're still struggling with, with this or that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We use struggle as an excuse to continue in our sin. The, the second, I think, the healthy form of struggle is this. Struggling to experience freedom. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, you have not you've not in your struggle bled yet. Like He's like, you've struggled and tried to beat this area of your life, but he's like, but did you die, right? But did you bleed yet? Like, how far did you really go? so that you could get, be set free? Or did you just use the word struggle so you could continue in that behavior, right? So, so here's the deal. He's like, hey, struggle with it. Deal with it. Get drastic with it. How drastic are you willing to get to be set free? That's my question for us in the church today. How far, how far would you be willing to go? Would you be willing to break off the relationship and say, hey, we just got to get some space so we can reset physically because like we're not doing a good job of having healthy boundaries in this relationship? Would you break it off or even just put a pause on the relationship so you could both get healthy? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to move out? Like you're, you're living together and you're like, Brian, it just makes sense. You don't get it, Brian. It's 2022. What happens behind closed doors is my business. It makes financial sense. It's really hard to find an apartment right now. It's really inconvenient to do anything different. You know what's It's inconvenient. Standing before God and going, I just felt like it was inconvenient to choose holiness. I, just felt, I, I didn't want to pay the price. That's going to be inconvenient to stand before God and go like, well, you know. I mean, how about this? Like last summer, I was trying to get off the internet, get off the grid completely, no social media or anything. So I went down to AT and T and I was looking at their phone selections. Do you know that you can still get a flip phone? It still exists, friends. Do you know that you can still get a phone that doesn't access internet? You can shut it all off. Like, you have the power to do this. And some of you, like, you struggle because the phone is access to all kinds of things. Side note, man, parents, be careful with technology. Like, if you give your kid a phone in their bedroom at night, it's like leaving a loaded weapon in their room and saying, hey, just don't worry about that. Just be aware of this reality that exists because there's access to the world. And you know this, but we can just get worn down as parents, and I get that. But how drastic are you willing to get? You're like, I can't do a flip phone. How am I going to find an Applebee's when I'm out of town? Like, I won't be able to navigate. It's called a map, right? What are you willing to trade for your soul, friends? Like, that's the question. Like, how far, how drastic are you willing to get? Are you willing to bleed to get healthy? Paul goes on to talk about how when we let this live in our lives and in our church, it affects everyone. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? He's talking about yeast. He's saying this. He's saying what you do sexually isn't only about you. It spreads. It spreads. It's interesting. Um, yeast or leaven in the Bible is uh, its a metaphor for sin. It's a metaphor for sin. The way that yeast kind of spreads through some dough is the same way that sin can spread through the church. It multiplies. It always does. And he's like, you're boasting about this, and it's actually going to tear you apart. It's going to tear you as a church apart. In, in uh, the book of Exodus, we actually re- re- read about how um, God sets the people of Israel free from captivity in Egypt. We know about that story. And when he sets them free, he actually institutes this thing called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that they, from then on, they would actually eat this flat bread without yeast. And, and it was a symbol of this reality that we no longer live in the customs. And in the culture of Egypt, we are a wholly set-apart people. We live different because we live under the banner of God. So it's like it's a way of celebrating that. And Paul's taking this idea of yeast, and he's like, yeast spreads. It grows. It multiplies. It goes a long ways and will affect everyone. So be careful. You see, we live in this individualistic society, right? The Western world is like, what I do in my life is my business. But what we read in the Bible is there's both corporate blessing and corporate cursing, right? Like, because of the obedience of a few, God can bless nations. And because of the disobedience of a few, God can curse nations. And beyond that, beyond what God does, we see clearly... Throughout the Old Testament, whenever Israel would wander off into worshiping other gods, it was this progressive journey that they would, it would just lead them to their death. It's terrible, but that's how sin works. It always takes way more from us than we ever thought it was going to. It's a journey. It, it, honestly, it's, it's how sexual depravity works in the world today. Have you noticed that things aren't getting better When's the last time you saw something on TV and you're like, holy cow, they would not have put that on TV 20 years ago, right? There's no way we would have seen because we've just kind of developed an acceptance to it. This is how the, the porn industry works is that it's just getting harder and harder and more damaging and more violent because you start off with something and that kind of feeds your craving and then you want something more and then something more and it's a progression into the worst and the worst and the worst and the, so there's this journey that we go on we have to be aware of this yeast this growing thing of sin in our lives and in the church because sin is always going somewhere it's never going to just stop where it is sin is always taking you somewhere so we have to be aware of that verse 12 he goes on he says for what, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders it is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside, or is it not those who are inside the church, those whom you are are to judge? God judges those outside, then he says, purge the evil person from among you. Paul's like, it's not my job to judge those outside the church. In other words, if you see somebody in this room, they're not a Christian, you can expect they may be living according to a different sexual ethic than you. And if that's you today, I'm so glad that you're here. We may disagree on this, You may go, Brian, I just don't think it's wrong. I don't think there's an issue there. I don't think I'm hurting anybody. And we can disagree. I hope you still keep coming to this gathering. I hope you can still keep asking questions. But again, if if you're in my small group and you're like, man, I'm living in this lifestyle and I'm not willing to deal with it, we're gonna have some really hard conversations because I love you so much. And because love cannot look away from someone destroying themselves. Love has to lean in. Paul's like, it's not my job to judge those outside the church. And back to our big, big idea, I think one of the ways that we distract ourselves from dealing with our own sin is we judge the world for acting like they don't follow God when they don't follow God. So let me just tell you, it's not going to get better. You're going to see more on the news when it comes to the world living in ways that don't follow God. Until Christ returns and heals what's broken in the world, things will continue to degrade. It's what people do. When there is no clear line And and really, the the whole idea of sexual ethic in our world today, it's just simply whatever cultural consensus is. If it seems okay to all of us, it's fine. So you can imagine, man, it's just going to go that direction. Paul says, I'm not here to judge the outsiders, but those inside the church, he says there is a type of judgment we are to have. And it's not to be judgmental. It's to make a determination that what they're doing is hurting them, and it's hurting us. So that, based on Paul's standards, is a good type of judgment. But it starts with us. It starts with being honest about ourselves. Number three, write this down. Honesty about our own sexual sin gives us the grace needed to help others. The first thing is just to be honest about ourselves. Just to be real. And and again, I want you to just think in your own heart, is there something in my life where I've just sort of given it the label of I struggle with that instead of believing that God wants to heal me from that? Is there anything in my life that I've said, that's ah, just probably not going to hurt anybody else? Or, or were you just standing firm on the idea that you can't tell me what to do? But again, don't argue with me. Just go back to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what I have to say. It matters what God says in your life. At least I hope that matters if you are a Christian. And if you're here today and you're like, Brian, there's so much damage. Like, I've, <laughs> I've got piles of carry-on baggage when it comes... To my sexual past here's what you need to hear he goes on in verse 7 he says for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed Paul's like hey don't you know what you've been rescued from don't you know the cost of your victory over sin don't you want to honor the cost of Christ on the cross Paul says when you go on living in sin it's like you're crucifying Christ over and over again it's like saying the cross wasn't enough damage for Christ let's damage him some more But when we choose to live victorious in what Christ is offering us, it's us believing and accepting and honoring the sacrifice of Jesus, our Passover lamb. See, Christ died to bring forgiveness and healing to our sexually dysfunctioned souls. And I believe he's still setting people free. I still hear stories in our church family of people who are willing to finally say, enough is enough. I'm willing to get serious about freedom. And I hope that's your story here today. And I hope you hear grace today. I hope you hear, man, Christ loves you and he wants the best for you. And I love you and I want the best for our church. But church family, this stuff exists in this room and you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting all of us. So seek help. If you want to go out to our welcome table, we can plug you into a group. Make sure you maybe check in at uh, puredesire.org. There's a lot of resources there. Get into a small group. There are ways to get freedom. But I want to ask you, don't fight alone. Don't try to battle this alone. We do this together in community if you're here today and maybe you're like brian yeah I, I think disobedience for me just looks like i haven't been willing to get baptized maybe maybe today's your day we always say this there's no better time than the present to obey god if god's been calling you to do something then just do it and so here in just a minute as i pray i want to want to encourage you just stand up walk back to the back uh to the decided banner back there and they've got some shirts and t-shirts and they're going to get you everything you need to get baptized if God's asking you to do that today. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us. Father, I just uh, I sense a heaviness in the room as we talk about this topic because we all have a story. God, whether it's things that have been done by us or things that have been done to us, God, we acknowledge that we live in this world that isn't the way you designed it and that we're all looking for the same thing. We all just want to find peace in our hearts. God, we all want to find hope for our souls. And God, we just confess that we seek that in things other than you. So Father, we uh, as a church family ask for you to forgive the sexual sin in our hearts, the parts of us that don't honor you and others. God, forgive us for using the idea of struggling as an excuse to continue in our sins instead of a way to freedom. God, I pray that you'd help someone here today believe that they can be set free. God, I pray for those conversations that need to happen, that we would have the courage to have them, not from a place of judgmentalism, but from a place of love, so that we could be set free together. God, thank you so much that you are still working in the church, God, and that you love your bride, God, even though she is stained. And today, God, we claim fully the power of the blood of Christ over everything that we've done and everywhere we've been, God, that your grace is sufficient for our weakness, that your strength is made perfect when we are weak. pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.